So I had the honor of being the chaplain at Legendary Lodge for this past week for the 5th and 6th grade girls camp. And it was, it was an absolute blast. I'm a young guy, and uh, I had trouble matching their energy. They, uh, they had an unfair advantage of consuming unbelievable amounts of candy every single day, so that gave them a little burst that I didn't have. But, you know, they hiked the mountain just fine, uh, better than the high schoolers, actually, in previous weeks. But, uh, but they, you know, they, they were ready to play all week long. Uh, they had tons of energy, and uh, they asked profound questions uh, during the question and answer sessions. And actually, over the course of the week, I feel like I learned a very profound lesson about the spiritual life from the kind of general disposition of these girls towards life. And I'll come back to that in a bit, because um, I think it's relevant, because the gospel today, I think, teaches us the same lesson as to how to approach the spiritual life. I don't know how familiar you are with the, the beginning of the gospels, but the apostles, at least a good few of them, were fishermen. And if you know any ocean-faring fishermen, or, or if you've at least seen a movie with ocean-faring fishermen in it, you know that they're experts at reading the weather. And so we can be pretty sure that the apostles in the gospel today knew that this storm was coming, and they didn't want to get into the boat. Uh, the first line of the gospel makes it very clear. It says, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and precede him. And this isn't the first time that Jesus has done this. The last time, uh, he, the same thing happened and Jesus was asleep under, underneath the cabin and they went down there and said, are you going to let us die or are you going to do something about this? Um, and this time is probably even more frustrating because he makes them get into the boat and then he leaves and goes up the mountain to pray. And so he leaves them by themselves to face the dangers of this storm. And we can, we, we can ask justly, I think, uh, why Jesus did this. Why did he make them face this tribulation um, and this danger? I mean, he knew what the outcome was going to be. He knew he would come to them um, before they sunk, but they didn't know that. And uh, this seems to even go beyond kind of the normal, kind of conceivable spectrum of suffering. When, if I, if I do something dumb and I suffer because of it, then that's, that's regrettable, but it's kind of just to a certain respect. Um, if, say, if, if a child suffers because of the decision of a parent, that is extremely regrettable, but there is something to be said for the fact that children's fate is wrapped up in the fate of their parents. And so it doesn't seem to be a contradiction. But for Jesus just to send his apostles into a storm... Uh, knowing that they will suffer tribulation and um, almost die in this midst of this storm seems a bit excessive and possibly cruel. But if we, if we look at it in, the, in kind of the full context of life, it, it makes some sense. So let's look at kind of other natural areas of life. Maybe military training. So soldiers are subjected to a whole variety of excessive amounts of suffering during their training. Um, things that seem out of the ordinary. Um, both physical and mental trials. And it's absolutely necessary because of what they're about to face when they go into war. So they have to be ready for any sort of treacherous circumstance. And the only way to prepare for that 
is to suffer while you're training. And I, I guess on a lesser level, uh, this is the same thing we do for sports. So sometimes it's hard for kids coming into football season to understand that all of these sprints and bear crawls and hot midday practices will actually pay off down the stretch when they need to get that extra step on the defender in the final game of the season. And they were prepared for that by all the training and the suffering that they endured at the beginning of the season. Um, and for some reason, we think that that's not true about the spiritual life, even though it's true about everything else we do in life. That somehow the spiritual life is this kind of purely spiritual thing that we can't really prepare for or grow in or, or train for to a certain respect. And, and that's just not true. That's absolutely not true. And in fact, because the spiritual life is, is foreign to us in so many ways, I think we have to train harder for it and work harder for it. Um, but, I mean, admittedly, there is kind of a legitimate reason why we're confused as to how our efforts play into the spiritual life. Um, because it is true that God does everything for us in the spiritual life, so how does our effort play a part? I think... Uh, we can look at the gospel today for an answer to that. So the, the disciples get into the boat in the early evening to, to cross the sea. And they fight the storm with very little success until the fourth watch of the night, which the fourth watch of the night is you know, 3 to 6 a.m. It's the final watch before the sun rises. Which means that they were fighting the storm for 12 straight hours, just being battered by the waves. And, uh, and, and the lesson here for us... Uh, a lot of the church fathers, the early commentators on scriptures in the 3rd and 4th century said that, that this is symbolic of our struggle against the world. So our, our spiritual struggle against the world, no matter how long we endure and how, what kind of effort we put in, uh, will pay very little dividend. We will make very little progress if we just struggle alone. Um, and this seems to be kind of a contradiction because I'm saying like, we need to work harder at the spiritual life than we need to work at anything else, but all of our efforts mean absolutely nothing. So that's not very compelling uh, for you guys, I know. But I will say that, that it, it kind of shows us exactly how we're, we are to approach the spiritual life. What is the proper disposition of our hearts toward the Lord that will actually help us to grow? Um, so I think now we can look back at the little girls at Legendary Lodge to learn how we are to approach the spiritual life. So, these little girls are kind of at the age where if, if they felt like, uh, if they trusted the person in authority over them, they would just walk up, so the girls would just walk up to me and just ask for whatever they wanted and expect me to give it to them. They were totally confident that I was just going to give them whatever they needed. And uh, so they were very bold in what they asked for. Um, and, and I think that is an incredible way for us to approach the spiritual life. Because they were also, when they didn't know how to do something, or if they were confused, they would just ask the question immediately and expect you to teach them. And there was no, there was no arrogance, there was no kind of presumption, but they were receptive, but it was an active receptivity. So... This is the disposition we are to take in the spiritual life. And we see it in the first reading today when Elijah's on the mountain. He's, he's listening for the Lord to give him the word, but he's, 
He's constantly looking at the same time. He's looking, is the Lord in the wind? No, he's not in the wind. Is he in this giant firestorm? No, he's not in this giant firestorm. Is he in the earthquake? No. But because of his attentiveness to everything around him, he notices the Lord speaking in that still, small voice. It's an active receptivity. And I think we see it most profoundly in the gospel today. When Peter, finally, after that terrifying night, when they recognize the Lord, he immediately says, Lord, call me out to you on the water, which is a crazy thing to ask for. Um, He asks to walk on water, and he knows full well that he is not capable of walking on water. But he also doesn't just jump into the water and try to swim to Jesus, because that'd be ridiculous. It's the middle of a storm. But he asks anyways. And he's, not, he's also not just sitting there passive, like waiting for the Lord to come save him. So, at the same time, we see that Peter is totally imperfect in asking for this. He, he starts to walk on the water and then immediately notices the wind and the waves and, and becomes afraid and starts to sink. But his attitude was right. He took the right approach. He was bold in asking the Lord for what he desired. So, Why did he sink? Because he's still learning. The spiritual life is something we grow in, we grow into, we train for it. So we make acts of faith, and although they're imperfect, the Lord helps us anyways in those acts of faith, and then he helps us to grow as we move along. But we still need to look confidently to him for for miracles in our lives. And we can do so even if our faith is imperfect. And, and finally, God will allow these trials in our lives, God allows trials in our lives in order that we can reach this attitude of active receptivity. And, and the trials aren't only necessary to increase in our faith and trust in Him, they're necessary because it's the only way we're ever going to grow. Um, it's the only way we're going to be prepared for the tough battles that come in our lives. So if we embrace the trials that we face as that, as God training us for the spiritual life, and we look only to him for aid in enduring them, then we'll find that he is working miracles in our lives as he did in the lives of the